Now, I'm going to major on Psalm 91. And I guess having, you know, had a song and uh, read the words, um, forgive me if you feel I'm teaching you to suck eggs. But I think sometimes uh, we get caught up in the darkness. And it's really good to be reminded of who God is. And that's for us. And this is also for the guys at Lawrence Weston and beyond. We're living in difficult times. Not just outside of these walls, but even within. We live in a postmodern world where people are suspicious of us who have and hold the Christian faith. Am I right? So what are we going to do about that? There are all sorts of things being thrown at us in the world, not just as Christians, as people. We've got the global crisis, the way that that's put neighbours against one another. We hear of that in Greece with the euro. We have heard of that. And these things have caused great anxiety. Fuel prices are rising and unemployment is up. This causes great tensions in our community, in our own families, and in the families of those that we know who are struggling to make ends meet. There is no coincidence that there is a food bank set up in Lawrence Weston. Food banks across the UK now, and particularly with the government, with its new legislation on benefits coming into play in April, we'll see that uh, that will be needed and necessary even more so. People are struggling. Many in our churches are ill, overworked, or lonely. And all of these things. Loss, loss, is a huge issue for many. People who are going through hard times are often in dark places, whether it's in the past, whether it's the present, or whether it's the prospect of the future. And even as Christians, I'm going to say it as it is, life is a pig. Life sometimes feels like a pig. So how do we keep going in a world that is full of turmoil and suffering When it's come to our doorstep, to the doorsteps of those that we know and love, to the doorsteps of those that we yearn for, for hope in their lives. Where is the good news of the gospel for us today when life is messy and uncertain and where suffering prevails? Those are the questions. In times like this, I am grateful to the messiness of the Psalms. They admit that life isn't perfect. They show us pictures of grief, of anger, frustration, and of exhaustion. They give us words to pray when we don't know what to say. And they show us hope. And above all, this, this Psalm is trying to tell us That God is like a castle, a fortress, where we are invited to come in 
and abide with him. To be with him, to rest in him, and therefore be surrounded by his protection. And in it we read, You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. My God in whom I trust. Does that really get embedded in our souls? Particularly in a place like Lawrence Weston, we don't use the word abide very often at all. In fact, I think generally we don't use the word abide. We don't use it much in our daily conversations. And it's a shame, really, because it's a word that really captures what it means to really be in God, to live in him. It simply means to live, to sit, to dwell. And there's that sense, isn't there, with the word that suggests it's a place where we can really settle in somewhere, to put down our roots, to make it a home, to make it your home, to make it my home. Now, I know it's funny, but when I was growing up, one of my places of safety was the airing cupboard at home. What's that all about? Well, where I would find room to squeeze in and to feel soothed by its warmth and the sound of the gurgling water going through the tank. Ah, those were the days. Of course, I couldn't fit in there now. <laughs> but for some, the security of their bedrooms are a special place to them where they might go to seek refuge. It might be to go with our parents, just being with them, our partners, our friends, cuddling our children will bring us a sense of refuge and safety, a place of security. For me, as a child, when life was quite chaotic at home and the airing cupboard wasn't a convenient place to hang out, I would often go and stay with a favourite auntie of mine who with open arms would receive me and welcome me. Now she didn't realise that just through that embrace and that loving welcome, my heart swelled. This was my shelter, my home, the place where I could abide. For many... We might agree that the church is a place of safety and refuge. A place where we can be at home with God. I don't know, maybe for some and not others. But I believe a, place, a, a church should be the, the temple of the living God. And that means, for me, a place of safety, of security, of love and embrace, of acceptance and grace. And I guess some of you might be thinking, I don't recognize that place. Others, I know that place well. It's a challenge for us as churches to become more Christ-like, isn't it? A place that says, come to me. 
That's Christ-like. Come to me, where I will bring you rest. And this is the invitation that God makes to us. The world is crazy. This psalm admits there is deadly pestilence, despair, war, famine, danger, the terror of night. So God says to us all, come on in. Abide in my shelter. Make your home with me. To stay in the everlasting arms of a God who has created us. A people for himself. A God whose thoughts are precious about us. Can't think why, sometimes. What better place than to be with our rock and our redeemer to abide in that place a God in whom we can trust and we see that played out don't we we see that grounded the essence of that in our lives for me was my auntie's house for others it's friends and parents if we knock the door will be open to us and we will receive that love and that warmth and that embrace how much more so will we receive from a God who desires our presence and invites us into his protective fortress. And the psalm continues with a picture of comfort, picturing God as a mother bird caring for her chicks. We are told we can find refuge under God's wings, where we will be covered with God's pinions or feathers. The Lord is our refuge. As as the psalmist rightly says, only he remains steadfast. He will never be shaken. Only God is the real true place where we can reside and abide in through the thick and thin of life. Many people have prayed uh, this psalm during times of hardship and persecution and they've found comforts in its words and in the knowledge that God is a God who provides and who holds the whole world in his hands. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. You may know them already. Actor Jimmy Stewart, famous for his role as George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, was not only an actor, he was a soldier. He fought in World War II flying planes over Germany. When he left for war, his father Alex met him to say goodbye. And he was tearful. But he couldn't properly convey his wishes to Jimmy, so he pressed in his hand a piece of paper. And on it, it said this. My dear Jim boy, soon after you read this letter, you'll be on your way to the worst sort of danger. Jim, I'm banking on the enclosed copy of the 91st Psalm. The thing that takes the place of fear and worry is the promise of these words. I am staking my faith in these words. I feel sure that God will lead you through this mad experience. I can say no more. I only continue to pray. Goodbye, my dear. God bless and keep you. I love you more than I can tell you, Dad. Now, as a veteran of the Spanish-American War, Alex, his father, knew the comforting words of that psalm. 
Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day. Well, Jimmy Stewart returned home a decorated war hero. He said he'd learned to lean on the words of that psalm. He kept it with him throughout, this tattered copy. You hold it, he says, like you've never held it before. The psalm has brought comfort to people in times of disease. The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, lived in England during a tremendous cholera epidemic. It got so bad that he was conducting a funeral every single day. He found himself utterly discouraged, convinced that he was doing no good in trying to help these grieving families. And then, as he walked down the street, he bypassed the window, and in the window was a piece of paper with parts of Psalm 91 written on it. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Suddenly, Spurgeon felt his soul lift. He was not alone. God provided him with courage and strength, and he made it through the rest of the epidemic, and he found new energy to care for those grieving families. The psalm is a psalm of great comfort, but it also leaves us with some questions. God protects us, certainly, and invites us to abide with him. But what about those who are in the moment, in the here and now, are suffering? Those who have died. What about those who meet death? Suddenly, as Carol was sharing with us at the beginning today, what about those families? What about earthquakes or a tsunami? What about the stuff of life that we question? Where is God in all of that? Where is God now? Well, and it's not a cop-out. There are no clear-cut answers. We know that. We are not promised a non-suffering life because we live in and with God. But we are assured of God's protection. That he will be with us in times of trouble. That he will rescue and honour those who abide in him. And through this, a great reward awaits for all who love and follow him. Yet somehow... I think we feel that we have a life or we expect a life free of pain. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself made flesh among us, came to die for us. Yet not my will, but yours be done, he said. He was obedient to the Father. To not an instant death, but a long-suffering, agonizing death. Even death on a cross, it says. See, they were on their way to Jerusalem. It was the climatic moment of Jesus' ministry. 
Shortly before this, Peter identified Jesus as the Messiah. And Jesus had begun to teach them that he must suffer and die, but that on the third day he would rise again. Of course, none of it sank in. James and John were convinced that there would be a great victory and that Jesus would set up a kingdom where they could take their places of honour. But Jesus had already told them that there would be no such place. They were asking for something unreachable, but they didn't really know what they were asking for. That's what Jesus tells them. You don't know what you're asking. Can you go through what I'm about to go through? Can you drink the cup I must drink from or be baptized with the baptism I am about to receive? Can you even make it into my kingdom, much less have a place of honor within it? We should not expect anything less from God than the promises we hear from his word. And even then, we have to willfully attempt things. William Carey once said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. It's a two-way process. Why should God reveal himself if we are not prepared to be in a two-way relationship with him? We need to attempt to pray, to read scriptures, to be together like this. And to be together and try not to fall asleep during the sermon, no doubt. Because when we attempt these things for God, do you know what? Amazingly, he turns up and he does his stuff in our lives. Stuff that we cannot comprehend or even imagine. Because we are dealing with a God who makes all things possible. Here we have Jesus telling us that life is tough, even for him. He was made flesh flesh among us. Suffering is a hardship that we will have to endure, for which he has endured for our sake. In the story, we hear of the cup of suffering that Jesus holds out and cries out to his father in despair, help. Take it away. It's too painful. Well, that same cup holds the same for you and me today as it did for him. It holds total submission to God. It holds more love than you could ever imagine. That cup holds suffering, but it holds such joy that you would almost forget the pain. It holds patience and attentiveness to the needs of others. It holds humility and sacrifice. And above all else, that cup holds a Christ who died for you and me. For us, that is the sweetest taste in all creation because of his enduring, everlasting and steadfast love for us, his people. Isn't that amazing? And today, we may be reminded of the journey we are on as a community of believers. 
It is a journey of faith in Christ Jesus, but it is also a journey of discovering what life is all about. Who is Jesus? What did he do? And why does it matter to us even today? It's a journey of sometimes difficulty, of suffering. It's a journey of life's ups and downs, through challenges, within churches even, the dynamics of personality and egos. But in all of that stuff I've just mentioned, there are so much more I could say. And yet above all that is the voice of God who calls us to live a life of humility and grace, reminding us it's not about us. It's not about our powers, our egos, our control, our pain, our suffering. It's always about coming back to focusing on and refocusing on and refocusing on again Jesus who is our example for living out the Christian faith he is our rock and our redeemer our rock in times of trouble who came to earth to restore us back to God bringing hope into lives lives that are in despair sometimes lives that have become void of hope but he's bringing hope that in when we do trust in him, we may reach the end of the journey in this life. But we've yet to arrive at the destination of the everlasting life to come. Because this message doesn't end when we die. It's a psalm that speaks into our lives here on earth. But it's also reminding us of a God who continually cares for us at the end of life. The psalm ends. The psalm ends with the words of life everlasting that I have changed to apply to us. If we love him, he will deliver us. He will protect us, those who know his name. When we call to him, he will answer us. He will be with us in times of trouble. He will rescue and honour us. He will bless us with long life and show us his salvation. This is the good news, loud and clear. This is the good news, loud and clear. It's not that difficult. Our God is in the world. Jesus Christ conquered the powers of sin and death on the cross and rose to new life that we also may be resurrected with him. When we lose those we love, we grieve. And we should grieve, for death is terrible. For our hurts and our hardships, we grieve for an end to such things. When depression squeezes the life out of us and we feel we are forced into despair, we grieve for light to come at the end of a dark tunnel. Yet in all this, we have hope. Because God is omnipresent. He is steadfast and faithful and his love endures forever. He will out in these situations if we choose to abide in him. It says in Psalm 30, a familiar verse, Weeping will endure for a night. 
but joy will come in the morning. We can celebrate, for God promises to show us his salvation, which has been brought forth and will come forth again. For this roller coaster world that we know is not the end. No. For the best is still yet to come. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Rest assured, God is our refuge and fortress, a God in whom we trust. Carol started off the service by sharing a few stories with us. Um, the idea of prayer, throwing bubbles into the air. And I sat and I thought, it's very tangible, isn't it? You know, because it's there and we see, oh, that's a bubble, that's a prayer. That's... We don't have God with us in the flesh, we know. But he's with us by his spirit and by his presence and power. He reveals himself in our lives. We wouldn't be here if that weren't the case. But the trick is to include him in everything, to be honest before him, to rest with him, to know that life is a pig sometimes, but that God will out, that he is our fortress. He is that place of refuge, that place of safety and protection. Let's go there and let's abide with him. Amen. I just said prayer, actually. It was the prayer at the beginning, but I didn't. Father God, I want to pray that um, you know, when anyone comes to bring your word, it's a privilege, Lord. But um, my prayer is that you join up the dots, that you make sense into the hearts and the minds of people, uh, myself included, who can be touched, even when I stand and say a few words. Um, doesn't make me exempt from your spirit working. So I just pray, Lord, that you tidy that up, that you join up the dots, and that each one of us will be challenged to know what it is to really know you as a God who is over all things and in everything, not just by word of mouth, but really in our hearts. Amen.